0: All right, Missions Month is complete, and we're going back to Isaiah. So in Advent season, we looked at the early part of Isaiah with these prophecies of a king, the king, who would come. That was really appropriate for Advent and Christmas. Now, we're a couple months away from Holy Week, Good Friday and Easter. Let's go back to Isaiah and chapters 40 through 55 we'll be looking at. And we'll be comparing that with the Gospels, Jesus' ministry in each of these, or almost all of these sermons. We're going to start with Isaiah 40. I'm going to read it to you here in a moment. If you have your black Bibles, I want to point out something to you. And that is the inside cover the inside cover, you might remember this if you were here when our departed brother Terry was pastor for many years. This comes from Isaiah 40, so I'm actually going to read this later. But the grass withers and the flowers, fade, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. That comes from chapter 40. I'm going to read the first five verses, but I will end with uh, verse 8 as Terry used to do. Uh, so will you please stand if you're able to. To hear these words of God through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. So what do you feel when you hear the words, comfort, comfort my people? It's the beginning words of Isaiah 40. And it's one of the most, one of the more famous passages ever written by a prophet of God. And in fact, these are the opening words of Handel's Messiah. Comfort, comfort my people. Now, we might have uh, a couple reasons as modern Americans Why we might not get these words fully. The first reason is we tend to, in many conversations, trivialize comfort. We shop for comfort fit jeans and comfortable couches. The term comfort food has taken off during my lifetime and I even heard the term comfort movie lately we might call a soft blanket, comfy. Now, I do not mean to carelessly criticize all this. After all, I have never shopped for uncomfortable jeans. Not on purpose. But my point is that these trivial examples have little to do with this verse. When God says, comfort, comfort for my people. And then there's a second thing. We might rightly recognize, rightly recognize as moderns, that comfort can sometimes be a bad thing. In a month like February, you might want to spend your whole day in a warm, comfy bed. And we all know that exercise isn't comfortable. The person perpetually comfortable we call a couch potato. And think of that term comfort zone. And we all know that the Lord challenges us to leave our comfort zone sometimes. To leave maximal comfort is necessary for work, to serve, and to grow personally. But to perpetually seek one's comfort is the path to self-centeredness, isolation, Or obesity. The prophet Amos cried out. Woe to those at ease in Zion. Those at ease in Zion. In other words. Woe to those. Comfy. Comfy in ways they shouldn't be. But all this has nothing to do. With what we just read. Comfort. Comfort my people. Instead. I want you to picture something we all can relate to also, and that is a patient in a hospital experiencing pain. We might call it discomfort. And here comes the skilled and caring nurse, which some of you are. And that person brings comfort. And there's another kind of comfort that patient might need if they are in despair. And that might be comfort that family members bring or a chaplain. Comfort, comfort for my people. Likewise, the prophet is speaking of that kind of comfort to a weak people. Even for a broken people. And God affectionately calls them my people. That's all in verse 1. Verse 2 will tell us a little more. Listen to this. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare has ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now this is really for Jerusalem. The city that's at the heart of the people of God in the Old Testament. And they are a people Broken, and we're told in that verse, broken how? By warfare. Yet this same verse also says there's sins involved, their iniquities are related to this warfare and calamity. So in other words, Jerusalem, according to this verse, is not just a city of sufferers, they're a city of guilty sufferers. But the Lord, being moved at their broken state, finally says, Enough. No more of this suffering. Comfort. Comfort for my people. You now, I can't tell you how infinitely important this is for your own life. To know that God is not just... A force, certainly not just an idea, but a personal God who cries out to comfort his suffering and even sinful people. I wonder if you had this thought. What's Isaiah talking about though? When? What's the time period? What kind of comfort when is he talking about? Great question. And just so you know, this is often a difficult question. In the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all the minor prophets, we have times where we say, is this about a distant event? We are still waiting for some events to be fulfilled that are said in the prophets. Sometimes it's near and even during the prophet's own lifetime. Sometimes in between. And, and it can be difficult for us to assess this. But these words from Isaiah, they certainly apply to the horrific event we call the Babylonian exile. Now that is in the 6th century BC. Isaiah lived in the 8th century BC. So he's talking about something and it applied in this horrific event, the Babylonian exile. And we might have a tough time imagining that event Can you imagine someone, a nation, invading here, killing, destroying, and then forcing survivors to walk hundreds of miles to live far away from home? Can you imagine that happening to your family, to your neighborhood? To you, And we know Isaiah's words applied to this Babylonian exile because of things said in just a few chapters forward. Isaiah will use the name Cyrus. Cyrus being the Persian ruler who will bring to an end the Babylonian exile. Now please know what I said. I, I, I tried to word it carefully. I said these words of comfort applied to the Babylonian exile. That's true. But that is not the only time that these words apply. God crying out, comfort, comfort my people, has other times where those words are intended to apply. But here's the really important point. God's acts of comfort in the Old Testament pointed the way To something that would happen in the future. That one day. The God of all comfort. Would provide the ultimate act of comfort. The decisive. Final. And permanent act of comfort. Now let's pause. This this is actually quite important. So in Israel's history. In the Old Testament. God often saved his people. Think of the Exodus. Exodus. And in the Old Testament, he often comforted his people multiple times. But since God is God, he can do far more than repeated salvations and repeated acts of comfort. What all this was building up to was something that only God can do. A final, decisive, permanent act of salvation And of eternal comfort. And that's what happened in Christ Jesus. In his atoning death for the forgiveness of our sins. Of his resurrection that guarantees our eternal life. Of his promise to return. And to fully establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. To banish evil forever. Now that is comfort. And you know who understood that? Handel. And so he says, at the beginning of the Messiah, comfort, comfort my people, quoting Isaiah 40 verse 1. Not a work entitled Israel, not a work just entitled salvation of God, but the Messiah. So, all that about Jesus takes us to the next few verses. And let's look at those again. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries about this comfort. In a wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight, listen to this, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What does that mean? Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. And the glory of Of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, this is amazing because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four gospels quote at least part of what I just read. And when they quote them, they all say the same thing that these verses are about John the Baptist. John the baptizer, the one in the wilderness, eating crazy food, wearing crazy clothes, and saying, prepare a way for the Lord. I am that man that Isaiah prophesied, he says. Now, the title of my sermon is this this, um, crazy language that I always thought was weird for most of my Christian life. What does that mean to make straight a path? That's what he's crying out. Make a straight up path, a highway for our God. That just seems weird to me. How do you make straight up? What does that mean? Here's what it means. Get all the obstacles out of the way. Clear the path. Remove all obstacles. Get prepared. For the Lord is coming. So John the Baptist comes and says, That's what I'm doing. I'm the voice in the wilderness saying, get prepared, people. The Lord will appear. And you notice it says, all flesh shall see it. The rich, the poor, the young, the old, men, women. This will not be the Lord only appearing to Moses, the burning bush. This will not be the Lord only appearing to a a prophet in a vision This will not be the Lord only appearing behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. All flesh in Jerusalem and around they'll see the Lord's appearance. So let's get prepared. Remove all obstacles. Make his path straight. That's John the Baptist's ministry. So now my question for you is what does that mean? To remove all obstacles. What is John actually doing? You might wonder what are those obstacles? Here's one thought. The Roman overlords. Oh, good luck getting rid of them. Problems with Jewish leadership. Are are those the obstacles John's going to get rid of? Something in the demonic realm. Sources of temptation. What are the obstacles that John is going to get rid of to prepare the way for the Lord? And here's where I want to read verses that you might know from Matthew 3, 1 through 6. But here's what I want you to listen for. Is that question I just asked. What's John getting out of the way? What obstacles? Listen to that. Ask that question in these six verses. What obstacles... Does he see he needs to help get rid of? Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Ah, from Isaiah 40, we just read it. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now do you see what John the Baptist was doing? What obstacles was he trying to remove to prepare the way of the Lord? What problems was he addressing? The problem was us. All of us. Our hearts. He told everyone to repent. And he invited them to be baptized, cleansed from their sins. Everyone. Even Jews who thought they were fine because they were Abraham's children. No, he said, repent. Take a bath. Be cleansed and forgiven for your sins. Get ready. For God is coming. Now, yes, there are big problems with the Roman overlords at the time. Yes, Jewish leadership was a big problem and Jesus would talk about that. Yes, the demonic realm is real and is a problem and the demonic realm would come out to fight when Jesus appeared. And likewise for you and for me. You might have problems with your boss. You might have problems in your family. Or with the government. And more. But John didn't go to those things. In preparing a people for the coming of the Lord. He addressed each person personally. As responsible and culpable humans. Made in God's image. And he said, repent. He didn't address everything wrong in their context, all the people making their lives and our lives difficult. Instead, he spoke to their hearts, their behavior, their hidden lives, their hardness towards God and towards the things of God. Now, this all sounds abstract. I got to tell you, John was very practical about this. Actually, I kind of wish he wasn't so practical. In Luke 3, we have soldiers who say, John, what shall we do? And he says very practically to them, don't use your military force, your strength, to extort people for money. Be content with your pay. Tax collectors come. Well, what should we do to repent? He says, don't collect more than you're authorized to. And to the crowds in general, he says, listen, this is what you can do. If you have extra clothes or extra food, and you know people that have neither, share with them. So we just returned from an elders retreat this weekend. And one of the things we did at the elders retreat was break into pairs. Pairs of elders, and uh, our assignment was to ask some rather personal questions of one another. And that was to bring us out of hiding if need be, to confess, to repent. And John here gets so practical. And you might say, is this about doing things? This is kind of confusing. We might want to ignore John the Baptist and say, all this stuff about doing, isn't this about the law? And we're not under law, we're under grace. But the problem is Jesus says the same kind of things. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The same kind of ethics. And he, like John, really does mean that we should repent in very practical ways. I love this phrase, fruits of repentance. Both Jesus and John said we should look for fruits of repentance in our own lives, which means it manifests itself in different behavior, good behavior. So, all this stuff about things to do, I want you to know this isn't about working and earning God's love. You ever felt that way with repentance? I got to repent hard, sincerely enough, kind of to earn God's favor, to earn my way maybe back into his good graces. And it's not about earning. It's about turning. And I think that's a helpful phrase. What John the Baptist and Jesus meant in this command to repent is to turn towards God. Turn towards his kingdom. Turn around. It's not about earning. It's about turning. And don't forget. If it doesn't sound gracious and loving. It's always connected with forgiveness of sins. Turn and be forgiven. Be baptized. Be cleansed. We know that honest repentance. Is connected to a God who forgives, who makes us clean. I, that phrase I've been thinking of, you ever heard that phrase, someone came clean? And what a, it sounds so Christian in my ears, that phrase. When somebody confesses, repent, they come clean. Not only is that how your conscience feels, but I think it's connected to the waters of baptism too. Coming clean. All right, so let's review. How did we get here? We started with comfort, comfort, and we just ended with repentance. How did we get there from comfort to repentance? Let's review our tracks here a moment. The same passage in Isaiah that said, comfort, comfort, and speak tenderly to Jerusalem, also said, Here's the great act of comfort. The Lord is coming. He shall appear in a way never been before seen. This is in the Lord Jesus Christ. God incarnate himself. Get ready. Make his path straight. Remove all obstacles. And we found out that's about John the Baptist. All four gospels tell us. That's what he does. And how did he get us to remove obstacles that, the problem was in us, not in our external environment, as much as that can be causing us problems. It's in us. Get your, get your hearts ready. Turn to the Lord. Be forgiven. Be ready to see him. Did you know that Jesus literally proclaimed comfort? Do you remember the beatitude? Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. It's actually gospel words. But as we're coming down the home stretch here, I want you to think of these words from Jesus also. These are more tragic words about comfort. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Do you hear how Jesus wanted to bring comfort? A protective comfort. What an image of a mother hen bringing her protective comfort to her chicks by drawing them under her wings, and Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and we just heard the comfort from Isaiah, for Jerusalem. And Jesus says he would, will turn to Jerusalem to be killed in that passage in Matthew 23. He says, I've longed for you to receive my comfort, Jerusalem, to gather you as a mother hen, but you would not turn to me. There was a married couple in their 50s with a wayward adult son. But he finally hit rock bottom. They offered to take him back into their home to get him off the streets. They wanted him to be healthy again and safe in their love They could have cried out, comfort, comfort. But he needed to get help to be part of a program. And he needed to separate himself from his friends and drug dealers. The parents didn't place many rules upon their son. And he certainly didn't have to buy his way back into their home. But in the end, he refused his parents' help. Claiming they were disrespecting his freedom. He was an adult, after all. He complained that their love came with strings attached. And what a tragic illustration... That story is of what Jesus meant by how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Where do we land here? God has truly appeared visibly in Christ and in Jerusalem specifically. To the rich and poor, men and women, all old and young, to, to all flesh. He has come to bring eternal comfort through the forgiveness of sins, the establishment of a new kingdom free from evil. A place for us to live forever. But first John the Baptist said, we need to get ready, repent, come clean. Turn towards God. Don't walk in the opposite direction. But walk towards the God of all comfort. If you're not a believer here today, this is an invitation for you. Maybe you've heard the word repent. And it sounds wrong in your ears. Whether authoritarian or demanding, crushing. I've heard it that way before. That's not how it's meant. It's an invitation to turn towards God to be received with immediate and free forgiveness, love. And like parents returning, receiving their wayward son, to then put you on a track of health, of growth, not self-destruction. This is an invitation from the Lord To receive all that he has to give you. But if you're a believer. Already. Maybe you've been a believer for a while. This is an invitation to renew. That. Especially if you're looking at all the problems around you. The people in your lives. The institution in your lives. Causing you problems. And here's the voice of John the Baptist. Saying. Look at yourself. Repent. As he talks to you, made in the image of God, you morally responsible, me, spiritually responsible, us. And says, I have good news for you. It might not sound like it, but you can come clean and be refreshed in your faith again. Maybe confessing sins to a friend. That sometimes really helps. A brother, or a sister in the faith. Bringing it to God in prayer. Say, I want to experience the Messiah afresh. I want to know the comfort of God. Again, something's been blocking me from that. Something inside me has been blocking me from that. That's John the Baptist's invitation. That's Isaiah's proclamation. To hear that voice to make straight the Lord's paths by removing those obstacles in your heart turn towards him let's go to prayer now and I'll have a moment of silence here for you to do heart work with the Lord let us pray Lord we do bring our foolish hearts to you right now our foolish stubborn hearts Lord we bring them to you knowing that you want to bring us comfort. Father we praise you that you are not. An impersonal force. You are not a mere concept. And you are not an austere God without a drop. Of compassion. We praise you that you are called Rightly. The God of all comfort. Move our hearts, we pray. To turn towards you. And to know your comfort and compassion. We praise you. For who you are. Amen.